find uh, relevant to our text this morning, they exemplify the modern phenomenon of celebrity culture. Uh, celebrity culture is where famous people in music, acting, sports, politics, etc., become a focal point of large amounts of fans who really thrive off of the constant images and media generated by the celebrity, either directly or indirectly. And the, the celebrity benefits, of course, in the following uh, that, they, that they generate through all that because it leads to endorsements and product endorsements and everything else. And, uh, so there's, a, there's a, this mutual uh, beneficial relationship, uh, at least seemingly, between the celebrity and the fan base. As a result of all this, this, this sort of react, re relationship, and by the way, often the fan base, the individual fans, feel uh, personally connected to the celebrity as if they're a friend or as if they know them because of the amount of media that's kind of shown to them about their lives and so forth. So there's this strong connection. And as a result of this, the celebrities have a very significant influence over the entire culture. And it's not just in the particular areas of their expertise. It, it, it ends up being influenced in all sorts of things, certainly fashion, music, but vocabulary, uh, you know, philosophy, religion, and politics. All these really important things in a culture uh, are significantly influenced by these celebrities. Now the problem with it all is that it's a mix of reality and fantasy. Now, that's the problem. Because the celebrity will project a really unrealistic image and lifestyle. Um, and that's needed really to, to create this persona to maintain the fan base. Because if the person is not entertaining and attractive enough, then they don't get the followers. But in the whole course of all this, the, the, the perspective on reality gets warped. Because nobody actually lives quite like that. Nobody looks quite like that. Um, and nobody has the expertise to speak on every topic quite like that. Uh, it creates these false expectations for life. Uh, Tony Little, the chief academic officer at uh, GEMS Education, says that 60% of kids in America believe someday they're going to be famous. Only 1% envisage working in an office and 4% envisage working as teachers. So 60% think somehow... I'm going to be famous like my favorite celebrity. And, and it gives us dissatisfaction, really. It can lead to this with a normal life and normal jobs and normal salaries and normal physiques and normal friends. It can create even an addictive sort of behavior because uh, they've found that, that the whole interchange, this constant interaction, um, can create a, a physiological reality and, and we basically rely on, a, on a dopamine and so forth in this reaction. So that goes on and, and, and by the way, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying Instagram itself is evil. Don't use Instagram. That's not the point. It's this, this issue of celebrity culture and where it can lead to that is behind this. Now, I want you to know that celebrity culture influences the church, particularly in the West. That's a reality. It's a reality for all of us. And it may include following the latest and greatest Christian band or your favorite Christian pastor. Uh, and if you look at some of the famous Christian pastors, um, they actually look a lot like the celebrities. I followed an Instagram account, just looking at it yesterday, that tracks the cost of the clothing of numerous famous Christian artists and pastors. These guys are wearing uh, shoes, sneakers, shirts that are worth thousands and thousands of dollars. And, it, and um, if you look into it, you, you see this culture that's there that actually 
follows along the celebrity culture we see elsewhere. But a celebrity pastor may not dress in Air Jordans nor have an Instagram account. He may be a celebrity because of the right reasons. He may be just a profoundly gifted teacher of God's Word. And he might have books and podcasts that are bestsellers. Uh, and so he can be popular for all the good reasons, but it can also have a negative effect. And, and, and I want to get into that a little bit. Really, that's what Paul's talking about here in 2 Corinthians 11. Uh, there was a celebrity culture reality that he dealt with in his time. And it has very relevant implications for us. So I want to I dig into this section of Scripture. I want to learn about this. I want us to hear really what God's saying through His Word is that He doesn't want us to be enamored by celebrities and celebrity culture. He wants us to measure things by a very different standard. And really, we've been seeing that, haven't we, in all of 2 Corinthians. There's a very different standards, standard for how we evaluate our own uh, maturity and who we are and how we evaluate leaders. And that's what God wants. He's given us His Word to, to teach us about this. So let's pray. And we'll, look at, we'll read God's Word and then we'll dig into this section of Scripture. So let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that uh, though these things are going on in our culture and it's a mixed bag, You've not left us alone. You've given us Your Word. Your Word is true, but it's also alive. And it's powerful to speak to us, to speak to our minds and our hearts, and to lead us in Your good and glorious ways. So I pray, help me to teach well this morning. Help us to hear You. Help us to receive Your Word as true, uh, in our minds, but also true to apply to our lives and by the power of Your Spirit to live in light of Your Word as a result of our time before You. We're, we thank You, Lord, that You're committed to us and You love us so much that You'd give us this Word and You'd speak to us. So use me, use this time to do all this and more. For Your glory we pray. Amen. Alright, chapter 11, verses 1, and I'll go through verse 15. Paul says, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me. For I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you in all things. Or did I commit a sin and humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preach God's Gospel to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. And why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. And what I'm doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. 
For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. God's Word from 2 Corinthians 11, 1-15. I believe this passage teaches us not to get caught up in celebrity culture and miss what really matters. God is looking for faithful people and faithful leaders who depend on and point to Jesus, who are not driven by being popular, and who are not afraid to call out unfaithful leaders that are harming the church. Those are our three points. We'll go through that uh, each point at a time. So first, uh, Paul calls leaders to be not a celebrity, but a sincere servant. So verses 1-4. through We'll dig in there. Paul starts out somewhat facetious here, uh, asking them to bear with him in a little foolishness. Uh, and this is a theme in both 1st and 2nd Corinthians. Foolishness and wisdom. Uh, and the Corinthians in that culture would have prided itself on wisdom, on really knowing truth and core truth. And, and they would have despised foolishness. Any sort of foolishness. And Paul in this letter and in 1st Corinthians and really we see throughout Scripture, he takes these categories of foolishness and wisdom and he turns them upside down. At least according to the world and their culture. He really turns them right side up. And so he, in this section and elsewhere, as we follow along from this chapter, you'll see him addressing this idea of being foolish and true wisdom. And, and I, I think just that point alone should give us pause to think, you know, maybe my categories of wisdom and foolishness aren't quite right. Maybe I need some adjustment. I think the culture in Corinth, in many ways, is similar to our culture now. And, and we ought to uh, wisely assess our own uh, values in terms of wisdom and foolishness. And you might think when I say wisdom and foolishness, just things like, you know, um, the wisdom of knowing the right thing to do in a situation. That certainly is part of it. But it's also the wisdom to, to discern your own heart and culture, what is best in you and around you, and, and what's the most valuable thing. So it speaks directly to things like celebrity culture, right? So, so what's wisdom here? When you look at these different people, um, they may or may not exhibit wisdom. And how do, you, how do you assess them? And how do you assess yourself? And so Paul's turning this right side up really on them by talking about foolishness and wisdom in this chapter and elsewhere. And so it's a chance for us to say, you know, what do I think about what is wise and best? And what is foolish? What do I give my time to? What do I find most valuable? What are the things that I want most in life? Are they truly wise things or are they foolish things? How do we know the difference between the two? Well, here we are in God's Word. That's how we know. So let me just call all of us to evaluate our own sense of wisdom and foolishness by the standard of God's Word. Because that is actually the ultimate truth. And this isn't just academic. This isn't just, you know, kind of trying to be good and do the right thing. No, it's God's universe. So when He says this is wise and this is foolishness, He's right. And there are eternal and serious temporal consequences for these choices we make. So let us all hear the Word of God calling us to reconsider what is wise and foolish. Now Paul does all this because he loves the Corinthians. He's not, you know, he's not angry with them and just kind of can't stand them and wants to give them a hard time. He loves them and so he goes on in this, this section to, to say, I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. He loves 
them, and he has a divine jealousy. Now, it doesn't mean that Paul's divine. It means that Paul has the same sort of jealousy that our Heavenly Father has for us. And he uses a metaphor that actually is reality in saying that I betrothed you to one husband, to Christ, to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. And it, it's a metaphor, but a reality because we, the church, are the bride of Christ, and we are betrothed. We, we belong to him. Um, and and it, part of it is the, the culture of the ancient world. Betrothal was a, was a lot like marriage, it's not really like our engagement. It was basically marriage, but, it, but you hadn't had the ceremony yet. And so the church is seen as betrothed to Jesus. The ceremony is when He returns. And that's when we're fully His, fully His bride. Uh, and so He's saying to the Corinthians, I have this jealousy for you, a divine jealousy, because I want you to be betrothed and faithful to Jesus and not be led astray. Paul is like a father acting under the Heavenly Father who betrothed his daughter to the very best, most gifted attractive, loving, and perfect husband she could ever want. Only to find her flirting with some scoundrel. That's what Paul's saying in this. I'm, I'm jealous for you like a father in that situation would be who loves his daughter, who wants the best for his daughter, and is watching his daughter make some very foolish decisions to flirt with this guy who's a, who's a con man and a scoundrel and only selfish. That's what he's saying here. And she is flirting with really what he's alluding to is the devil because he compares this to Eve flirting with the devil. In Genesis, where the serpent uh, is the embodiment of Satan himself, the enemy of God and our, his people as well. And Paul is concerned that the, the Corinthians are actually being deceived by these false teachers and these false ideas out there. And Eve's flirtation led her and Adam to great downfall that plunged the whole human race into sin and separation from, from a relationship with their Creator and the lover of their souls. Paul's concerned for the Corinthians. And he, he says to them some very strong things too in this. And basically, uh, he says, for if, if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus, or if you receive a different spirit, another spirit versus the Holy Spirit, or if you accept a different gospel rather than the true gospel, you put up with it readily enough. You guys are basically enamored with any alternative but the real Jesus and the real Holy Spirit and the real good news of Christ. I see you being drawn away and flirting with these things. What's going on? These teachers that are there in Corinth, from what we know, these false apostles that have invaded the church, they are twisting the truth about Jesus. They are teaching some sort of uh, untruth that is really ungodly and, and, and an example of a worldly, ungodly spirit. They've corrupted the simple and pure gospel. We don't know exactly, but as we look through First and Second Corinthians and, and understanding the history of the time and the rest of Scripture, it looks like they are teaching some sort of mix of Greek philosophy probably mixed with some sort of mystical Jewish legalism and all wrapped up with celebrity culture. That's what's going on. And so they've perverted the Gospel. They've corrupted the, the image and the truth of Christ and they are rep representing a false spirit, not the Holy Spirit. Now, 
We may not have that particular mix today, but I think we have some things that are not far off. I would say that the modern-day prosperity gospel is a good example of what was going on in Corinth. The prosperity gospel says that Jesus came to provide for you abundant life. That first part is true. But that abundant life is about being healthy and wealthy and prosperous in all these ways. It's, it's about not suffering, not going through trials. It's uh, your best life now in every way positive thinking, and so forth. And if you have enough faith in God, God will be compelled to give you such a life. And the mechanism that, that is used in this false teaching is, is the, the truth of giving in Scripture. We're called to give and be generous. But it says if you give in faith, God will be compelled to give back to you. So you give to get money back. You give to get prosperity back. It's a prosperity gospel. It's a false promise. It's a twisting of Jesus. It's a twisting of the Gospel and it is a representation of a false spirit, not the Holy Spirit. The true Gospel is way better than that. The true Gospel is that God has sent His only Son for us to rescue us from sin and separation from Him by dying on the cross in our place. Bearing our sin, our our disobedience, our lack of love for God who is only good and glorious, and our lack of love for one another. He bore the just penalty for that sin on the cross, died in our place, rose again victorious over sin and death on the third day, and through simple faith, not a strong faith, but faith as small as the tiniest grain of seed that you could imagine. Tiny little faith that just says, help me. I don't want the old ways. I want You, Jesus. Through that simple faith, all the benefits of His work for you are applied to your life. You're forgiven. You're reunited with the Lord. And you get God. You get something better than health and wealth. You get God. And, and God never promises in this life that He will give you perfect health and wealth. Matter of fact, He promises you suffering. And that suffering ultimately is to work the very best thing in your life to conform you individually and as a whole to the image of Christ. That you might live like Christ does in perfect union with God and enjoy Him and to reflect Him here. That's the true Gospel. But the prosperity Gospel says no, no, no. It's, it's about having enough faith. And it creates this whole warped system of legalism where you're always trying to have enough faith. And the reason you're not healed, the reason you're not wealthy, is because your faith isn't strong enough. We don't see this in Scripture. We don't see it in that way in Scripture. There are truths mixed in with it, but it's twisted. It's, it's corrupted. And it creates this system of, of legalism and selfishness, because that gospel is about you, not God. The very best thing for you or me is not to be focused on ourselves, but to be focused on God, who is good and loving and loves us. He's the lover of our souls. And when we put our eyes on Him, we can trust Him and know that He loves us, we're safe, and we can learn to love Him and love others for His sake and be free from ourselves. This is the sort of falsehood that, that makes Paul and more importantly, our Heavenly Father burn with a holy, loving jealousy. Can you imagine what it would feel like to be a dad or mom with a, a wonderful, beloved daughter engaged to a wonderful, loving man only to see your daughter ensnared by some con man and scoundrel and go running off with him instead? This is how God feels about us. When we choose something else besides Jesus, it breaks His heart. Jesus, we know, weeped over Jerusalem, rejecting Him. 
God the Father is brokenhearted and jealous for us in the same sort of way. So just simply for the, the fact of His love and jealousy for us, please refuse to dabble in false religions and twisted versions of the Gospel. I say this to my own soul. Please refuse the allurement and false promises of celebrity culture. And know that He loves you. And He wants the best for you. And that is to belong to Jesus. To trust in Him. To find your riches in Him. To live in the power of the true Holy Spirit. Rejoicing in the true Gospel. There's lessons in this for us. It's lessons in how we discern a, the source of leaders that the Lord wants. But it's also a lesson in, in what He wants for all of us because leaders in Scripture actually are not to be extraordinary uh, in any other way besides teaching. And basically the standard of their example is for all of us. So we may not have the gift of teaching and preaching. We may not be called to the office of deacon or pastor. But we're to exemplify the same sort of thing. The same sort of love and heart that the Father has for our own lives and for others. I, I love what John, the Apostle John says in 3 John 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Let that be our heart. Let us have that same divine jealousy for one another. For our own spiritual and biological children. For, for all those around us. This is what Mature Christianity looks like. We don't, by God's grace, we don't dabble in these things. We are devoted to Jesus together. We need each other for that as well. We need the help of our relationships together. And if you are ever find yourselves under leaders who dabble in these false things, are enamored with the world and celebrity status, let me just tell you, Run as fast as you can to somewhere else. Find leaders in a church that is committed to this standard of wisdom and not the world's. Second point, not a celebrity, but a steadfast servant. Paul mentions in verse 5 the, the super apostles. Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. These guys are saying that they're superior to Paul. They have a better Gospel. They have, they have a better Jesus. They have a better Spirit. They have a better church. They have a better apostolic ministry. That's what they're saying. And that word better and super are actually the same word used throughout 2 Corinthians in this section in particular. It's, ba it's, the, it's the word uh, that the English word hyper is based on. And so these are hyper-apostles. They are apostles who, who are hyper-apostles and everything they do is about hype. Saying they have a better this, a better that. They're better than Paul. And they seek to ensnare the Corinthians in this deception. And Paul says, well, I, I might be unskilled in speaking. And this is an accusation that he's been accused of in light of these guys. But I'm not so at knowledge. Indeed, in every way, we've made this plain to you in all things. Paul's saying, guys, we're, you, you might be able to say I'm unskilled in knowledge. And by the way, Paul, I think, was fairly skilled. That was the accusation. Your unskilled knowledge. But he's, in speaking, sorry. But he said, you know I'm, we're not unskilled in knowledge. That by his proclamation in his life, he is making it clear that he is consistently and his whole team is consistently faithful in true heart knowledge. Biblical truth applied in faith. He's saying, guys, uh, maybe I'm not unskilled in speaking. I, I grant that. But not so in knowledge. 
We're consistent with the true Jesus and the true Gospel and the true Holy Spirit. Now, these hyper-apostles lived in a culture and were promoting a different standard. It really was just the, what the culture of that day did. And their cu- culture, legitimate philosophers and orders, um, took money from a patron. And some rich citizen would support that philosopher, that speaker. And the better the philosopher, the better the speaker, the richer the person. And so the perception of your success as a speaker, as a philosopher, and and really this translates to an apostle and a pastor, was gauged by how what sort of patron you had and how much money you got paid. That was their standard. And these guys were trained in in rhetoric, the, the art of speaking and presenting arguments. They were very well trained in the books that they used to this day, are helpful in understanding how to communicate. But they also were trained in the theatrics of communication. Vocal tone and, 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 and hand gestures and body language, all those sorts of things. And the whole purpose of their training was to influence people regardless of whether what they were representing was true or not. They were called sophists. It was a derogatory term for them. And that, that was common in the culture. And so these hyper-apostles were very likely the, this sort of people. This, they had gone through this sort of training. And they were entertaining. They were attractive. They were the guys wearing the $3,000 Air Jordan sneakers when they spoke. And they had a following. And yet Paul says that, uh, that uh, I didn't take money from you. And, and so he addresses that issue did I commit a sin and humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached gospel to you, the gospel free of charge? Now, Paul was discerning of the culture. He saw the celebrity culture there. And there's lots actually, both in 1 and 2 Corinthians, where you can see he actually is choosing a methodology approach to pastoring, to being the apostle for that church that, that was countercultural in a very sincere, intentional way. He was aware of the celebrity culture. He was aware of what these guys did and how that whole system worked. It was how well you spoke and how emphatic and theatrical you were and what sort of patron you you had. And so when he went to Corinth, he said, I'm not going to do any of that. I'm going to speak simply, plainly. I'm going to preach nothing but Christ and Him crucified. And I'm not going to take money from anybody. Now, he took money in other churches, other places. matter of fact, in Macedonia, he took money. But they didn't have this celebrity culture issue. And so he went there, he worked at first with his own hands, and then when his friends, the rest of the team, came from Macedonia, he was supported by the money they had brought in his ministry. And to the Corinthians, this is like, whoa, what sort of guy is this? Doesn't take money? Doesn't sound like these guys? He's, Paul was physically unattractive as well. And so they were rejecting him. And, and they're evaluating Paul and all leaders, and really mature Christianity by these false standards, by celebrity culture. Maybe it will help to think of a modern day equivalent. Imagine a pastor, we'll call him Pastor Bill. Pastor Bill is the lead pastor of a church. He is kind of shy. He's not that eloquent. Matter of fact, he's a little socially awkward. He dresses like he's stuck in the 80s. He wears khakis, khaki pants and blue shirts and a corduroy jacket every Sunday. I don't do the corduroy jacket, but I do the khakis and blue shirt. His jokes and vocabulary are old school. 
He doesn't know any of the recent actors and sports figures. He's a bit absent-minded. What do you think of Pastor Bill? Now, hear the rest of Pastor Bill's story. Even though he is all these things, when it comes to preaching the God, God's Word, he's right on Sunday after Sunday. Not only does he handle and teach the Word well, but he's open and honest about his own struggles and how he's learning to believe God and apply these truths. He does it in such a way that as you hear the Word taught and hear his own, his own honest struggles with believing and obeying, you start to understand the truth and know how to apply it to your own life. As a matter of fact, Pastor Bill is directly helping people apply the Word. He's meeting with multiple groups to help them grow in Christ. He's developing new leaders of all ages and ethnicities. New deacons and deaconesses and new pastors. He's very effective at loving his neighbor in his own awkward way. Communicating to them and demonstrating the love of Christ and the good news of Christ. And even though Pastor Bill is old school and awkward, he's leading this church into health and vitality. Can you imagine a pastor like that? I don't think it's that far from reality. And this is what Paul's presenting here. Not celebrity pastors and celebrity leaders and celebrity Christians, but, but faithful pastors. Faithful leaders. Faithful Christians who evaluate wisdom and foolishness according to God's standard, not the world's. Now, I believe you guys get this very well, and I'm grateful for that. I do have a concern that we might be tempted by a different sort of celebrity pastor. The sort of celebrity pastor that is a celebrity for good reasons. And I think you know some of those guys. There's the historic ones, of course. Charles Spurgeon and others. Um, he was an incredible speaker and teacher. But there's also modern-day guys like Tim Keller, John Piper, R.C. Sproul. You can even listen to Martin Lloyd-Jones, though he's no longer alive. Uh, fantastic preachers of God's Word. And while all these guys are rock-solid, none of them are your pastor. None of them are part of this pastoral team. And none of them will stand before God on Judgment Day accountable for your soul. God has not given you these men as your pastors. He's given men more like Pastor Bill as your pastors. And that's by design. Because he cares more about faithfulness to the Word and relationship and being genuine shepherds who walk with you and care for you and know you. We, not, we must be so careful not to blend our expectations here. I'm grateful for these men and their teaching ministry, but they're not my pastor. Pastor Jeff and Pastor Toby are my pastors. Your pastors. I have some pastor friends not here in this church though these guys are my friends, <laughs> but different ones, that are some of the best pastors I know. And, and I told one of them at one point, I would be glad to have you as my pastor. And yet these men don't preach like Charles Spurgeon or John Piper. They don't measure up to celebrity pastorhood. They'll never be celebrities. They don't preach as well as these men, and yet in their church there are people who are leaving or have left the church because they don't measure up to John Piper or Tim Keller or whoever else. But these guys are faithful and clear in bringing the Word every Sunday. And they're there as shepherds loving their church and walking with everybody and modeling 
uh, mature Christianity of depending on Jesus and loving neighbors for Christ's sake. And it grieves me to hear of people leaving their churches for that reason. And I'm sure, by the way, it would grieve John Piper and his other brothers as well. Your pastor's job is not to be profound. It's not to be entertaining. It's not to be cool. It's not to be extra smart or extra insightful. Your pastor's job is to be faithful and clear and a living example of the great shepherd and King Jesus and His care for the flock and the commitment to mission. That's your pastor's job. Now we want to have the best preaching and the best Sunday experience and the best church experience we can possibly have, but sometimes I'm concerned lest we be tempted to expect too much from our leaders. And it wouldn't be just for pastors. It would be for all of our leaders and one another. Let us understand that faithful pastors and leaders and Christians may look very unsuccessful according to the popular standards of our day. And let's evaluate each other by God's standard. Finally, not a celebrity, but a discerning servant. Paul, in this section, is unafraid to call out the wrong sort of leader when it's necessary to protect God's precious people. He doesn't pull any punches. He's glad to push his viewpoint not for selfish reasons, but he says to undermine the work of these false leaders. In verse 12, what I am doing I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasting they, uh, they work on the same terms as we do. These guys are, are, are asserting that, you know, hey, we're, we're just as good. Actually, we're better than the Apostle Paul and his team. And Paul sees through what they're doing. And he's not selfishly ambitious in this. It's not like, hey, I need to have the affirmation of you guys. No. He says, I love you. I'm jealous for you. And if these guys undermine my ministry, they're going to lead you away from Jesus and the Gospel and the Holy Spirit. And so he's exposing them because he loves these guys. They have to see what's going on. And he goes for it, doesn't he? He calls them false apostles. Not authorized by Jesus. Not authorized by His true church to oversee the church and lead its mission. They are deceitful workmen. Not working to serve others for Christ's sake, but working with lies. Weaving a web that will entrap the Corinthians. They disguise themselves as doing something good when they're doing evil. They say they are servants of righteousness and they really are servants of evil. And they're pursuing what's false and corrupted. They act like Satan himself and will be judged according to their deeds on that final day. Wow! He's unafraid to go for it. He goes for it here. He wants them to understand and see. Now I want us to recognize that it's not always absolutely clear what, it, what a false apostle looks like. This makes it sound like, well, how could you ever miss it, Corinthians? I mean, come on, look at Paul's description. And you think this is the devil incarnate coming into the church. But it can be difficult at times to discern. Let me give you some thoughts from this section of Scripture and elsewhere. This is our, how you know. You know the tree by its fruit, right? That's what Jesus said. Here's some fruit to examine. Some things to look at when you see to know that this is probably a false leader. A false leader projects omnicompetence. And a sense that he is better than other leaders and his church is better than other churches. A false leader doesn't easily share his or her weaknesses nor the weaknesses of his or her church or denomination. 
A false leader leads people away from genuine fruit in Jesus into an unhealthy focus on himself or the organization. A false leader leads into compromise with the culture, either on the right or the left in any way, rather than conformity to Christ in, in His truth in applied to all of life. So they lead you to compromise with the culture instead of conformity to Christ. And a false leader binds people to his own leadership rather than freeing people to follow and become like Jesus. Those are some ways we see that and, and those are drawn from Scripture. I want you guys to know the difference for your own life and how you would seek to grow and be like Jesus and for the sake of how we understand our leaders. I want you all to actually to know your right and responsibility as church members to discern these things. In this church, we, have, we are organized in a certain way to deal with the possibility and perhaps an inevitability over the long haul, should the Lord prosper us and keep us for years to come, of having to do these things, having to address errant leaders. Every member in this church can initiate church discipline for another member. We do it biblically, but you can initiate it. Every member of this church can bring charges against an elder here. You have an important role to play in the many ways we as a church assure that our leaders are genuine leaders and not false. And we as pastors, by the way, are glad to hear that. We have a way set up for that. We need to respond. And we have chosen historically to be part of a group of churches that also hears that and takes it seriously. And we, in that choice, are eager to have another level of accountability so that you can bring your concerns to us but also to other pastors to whom we're accountable, that they can address us. We value partnership not only because it brings church health and help promotes the mission, but it brings another layer of accountability for our church and our pastors with church courts and pastoral standards. Let me tell you a story. This is told by my friend Ted Bigelow in his book, The, the Titus II Mandate. And he says, During the years of 1752 and 1753, Pastor Lemuel Bryant was asked by his elders to quit his ministry because there were substantial charges against him from his own wife and because he had started teaching a children's catechism that denied, or was written by a guy, that denied that Jesus was God. He had also begun to teach a false truth saying that if you're good enough, simply, you'll get to heaven. That's how you get to heaven. A falsehood in that rather than putting our trust in Christ and His grace. And so, his own elders addressed him. Pastor Bryant ignored them. And so these elders went to other pastors in their area. But they were an independent church. These other pastors had actually been involved in raising up Pastor Bryant and ordaining him. And they actually went to Pastor Bryant and appealed to him to step down. He ignored them. And he called for a congregational vote. He said, okay, I don't agree with you guys. Let's put it up for a vote. Well, sadly, Pastor Bryant had manipulated his own people. And he knew by doing that, he would win in the end. And the church voted overwhelmingly to retain him. He pastored a church that in that day was in the town of Braintree. But that church actually, as a result of Pastor Brian's influence and where it went, became what is known as the first Unitarian church in history. 
And if you know history, Unitarian churches which deny Christ and deny the Gospel of grace and, and the way we understand it biblically, and this isn't to pick on them, but, but they certainly wouldn't line up with Scripture in these ways. Unitarian churches went on to take over, I think, two-thirds of the congregational Trinitarian churches in New England. All started because here at this church, Lemuel Bryant was unfaithful and a false teacher. And his own church did not step up to do what they ought to do, even though there was a level of authority in the elders and other pastors. So there's a lot at stake here. And I want you guys to understand that. Now, I don't anticipate, God willing, this will happen, maybe even our generation. But let us be people who understand these truths here. Let us be people who apply these standards to leaders here and life here. And let us be people who apply these, these standards to ourselves. Well, I hope that's helping you. I hope this series in 2 Corinthians is helping you understand what faithful leaders and mature Christians really look like. We're not to be enamored by celebrity culture. We are to live by God's standards. We're to be willing to be unpopular, to do the right thing. We are willing to call out errant leaders when they go off the rails. We're to have Jesus as our focal point. We depend on Him and we point to Him in what we do. Let's pray.